Good evening, good evening, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the day that the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we are glad about it. So glad that you have joined us on tonight for what is and promises to be a very important, uh, vital conversation for you, for your family, for our community. Uh, we're talking tonight about the virus, the vaccine, and the variants. And so if you will, go ahead share this live stream with your neighbors, with your friends right now. We're going to get into a lot, a lot of very important information that you don't want to miss. Uh, it's vitally important that you hear it today. And so I want to thank you all for being on. I see that you're already in the room. 
Uh, but let's go ahead and get those numbers up uh, to a, at least a, another hundred or so, uh, because we don't want anyone to miss this information. It is vitally important. We got something, some things we want to share with you from a local perspective, uh, even from a national perspective that will help you and your family to stay safe, uh, to stay on the cutting edge, to know what to do, what not to do, uh, and how to respond in these very challenging uh, days that are before us right now. So good to have each of you with us on this evening. Again, go ahead and share this with your neighbors, with your friends. Let's get those numbers up as we enter into, into this, this conversation. And I, you know what? I'm going to say enter into this Bible study. And the reason I'm going to say that is because there are two passages of scripture uh, that come to mind for, that, that really frame tonight's conversation. First one says, uh, where there is no vision, the people perish. The other one says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And those two verses really, really help to frame what we will talk about tonight, because uh, really what, what those scriptures say to us is where there is no vision or insight and where there is no uh, knowledge or understanding, the end result of that is devastation and destruction. And so tonight we want to give you both insight and understanding about what we are facing as a community, as a city, a state, and as a nation. So with that, uh, let me offer a word of prayer and we will get into tonight's discussion. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for those who are here, for our special guests uh, who are with us. We thank you, oh God, that you are giving us the ability to converse uh, on this platform uh, in this way and get uh, vital information, insight and understanding to your people. We pray God that you will bless our efforts and in the end that you would be glorified, that we would be edified. In Jesus name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. So listen, I said we have some special guests with us on tonight. Uh, let me say it like this, I, I have a good friend and I have a good member, all right? Uh, we have a good friend with us on tonight. My good friend, uh, Reverend Tony Montgomery, who is the pastor uh, of the Greater St. James Missionary Baptist Church here in Jackson. Uh, and of course, our good member, uh, uh, Dr. Shannon Pittman. Uh, I, I, I said to her, listen, there are a lot of people who have been members of K Chapel who will be uh, wondering tonight, is that Shannon? <laughs> and because uh, so many people don't even know the, that that you're the doctor, the doctor that you are a uh, wonderful, uh, you, you just have a wonderful spirit. You serve uh, the people of God in so many capacities. And this is just another hat uh, that she wears that God has given her to, to bless the kingdom of God. And so uh, thank you to both of you for being with us uh, on tonight. Let me start with uh, Reverend Montgomery. Uh, as we talked, uh, as I said, those two scriptures that really sort of helped to frame tonight's discussion. Uh, and as ministers uh, of the gospel, as, as, as men of God, uh, who preached the word of God, we uh, did something this morning uh, that, that we thought to be very important in uh, taking the lead on getting uh, vaccinated. Uh, why don't you share, Reverend Montgomery, just a little bit about why you thought that was important, why we uh, did that, and what we hope to accomplish. Well, uh, thank you again, and uh, hello to uh, the K Chapel Church family. Uh, always excited about being part of anything that you're doing and anything that your pastor is doing. Uh, so uh, just, just glad to, to be able to share uh, my little piece in this. But um, 
Pastor Buckley, as you know, I saw the numbers start to come out after the vaccine started being taken. Uh, 1.3% of other races were getting vaccinated. Uh, and in our community, African American community, only uh, I think it was 0.3% of the people who were being offered a vaccine were actually taking it. Uh, after conferring with people in various neighborhoods around the state, it was I was finding out that it was true. Uh, there was a great deal of fear uh, about getting the vaccine. And so, you know, my prayer was that we did not need to, as pastors of African-American churches and African-American communities, we did not need to be, as Dr. King suggested, we didn't need to be the taillight. We needed to be the headlight when it comes to this vaccine. We needed to lead uh, and get our vaccinations as quickly as we possibly could with the hopes of encouraging our congregants and our communities in doing the same. Yeah, and so uh, I, I want to thank you for being a part of that and for helping to organize that that effort. We had several pastors uh, from several congregations, several churches uh, through in Jackson, as well as Madison, uh, Reverend uh, Rouser, Keith Rouser from the Ridley Hill yes. uh, Baptist Church in Madison was one who received a, a, a vaccine today. Uh, Reverend, uh, 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 I keep wanting to say Ray, <laughs> why do I do that? Uh, uh, Reverend Gray at, at uh, Stronger Hope uh, also received uh, his vaccine. Uh, you received yours and I received mine. Uh, and so we're thankful that we were able to not only just receive it. Oh, look at there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we were able to receive it, not only just get it, but also to take part uh, in, in saying to our communities that as the vaccine becomes accessible, as it becomes available, that we don't want our people to be slow about uh, signing up, slow about scheduling, slow about getting uh, getting that vaccination done. Uh, and there are reasons why we don't want them to slow up uh, in doing that. And we'll get into some of that, uh, I guess, right now. So again, uh, Reverend, thank you so much for, for being a part of that. Thank you for all the work that you do in our city uh, and, and for just uh, for the fellowship and the friendship that we enjoy. We appreciate you. We appreciate you, man. Bless you. So, so Dr. Pittman, uh, if you will, we 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 uh, took the vaccine today, um, and if I could, I know the 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 title of tonight's conversation is the virus, the vaccine, and the variants. But if I could, can we just jump right into the vaccine part of it? Because I think that's where a lot of our focus is right now. A lot of our energy is right now about. Uh, this vaccine. And I think the first question that's on everybody's mind is, is it safe? You know, what do we know about the production of this vaccine, how it came online so quickly, which is one of the things that really gives a lot of people pause about taking it? Yeah, that makes sense. I think there were, there's a lot of reasons to be a little bit, a little bit skeptical if you don't really understand kind of the back side of it. It seems like the vaccine kind of came to market like that, right? Uh, we, we started back in January or March when this was declared a pandemic. And in, in just a few months, we had vaccine in people's arms. And so there's like, whoa, it's taken years to develop vaccines for Ebola and other things. But the reality is, um, so the, the, the method of delivery, the mRNA vaccine, the method has been actually been studied for the last two decades. It's not been in use, but it's been studied for the last two decades. And there were a lot of things that happened that allowed the vaccine to make it to market so quickly. Uh, one of those was money, 
right? Because this is a global pandemic. Uh, there were lots of resources that companies don't always have to be able to, to, to go through the research and the production uh, for the vaccine. And so there were was tons and tons of money across the world because it's such a public health crisis right now. Uh, the other has to do with just the fact that there was a lot of collaboration around the world. So there were sharing of information, sharing of knowledge. China was actually able to very quickly map the DNA of the virus, which helped accelerate the research. Now, the other thing that happened because of the funding, uh, which in any other circumstance would be incredibly risky for these companies, but they actually produced vaccine as the studies were going on, uh, recognizing that it was a chance. So there were some vaccines that didn't make it uh, to get the EUA and be approved for, for emergency use, but they actually produced the vaccine as they were studying it. So that, that meant that hopefully uh, all the research was going to be, be well and the harm was not going to be such that they had to pull it off the production line. But once they knew that the research was solid and that the, the, the vaccine was safe, then it was already ready to be distributed. That's not usually how it happens because obviously you can imagine that producing vaccine costs costs a significant amount of money and resources and time, but they had the funding to be able to do this across multiple organizations. And then I think the last piece that allowed the vaccine to come to market so quickly is that generally it takes a long time to recruit um, people for the, for the study. They were able to, to get the number of participants they needed almost overnight uh, to be able to have a broad population in the study base to look at the safety of the vaccine across multiple populations. And so I know it feels fast and I won't, I won't lie, I felt like it was fast myself and it is fast, yeah. uh, but it's fast because there were a number of things that enabled it to be fast. I, 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 the analogy that I have is that um, the time it takes me to get from my house to K is the same, right? The, the distance is the same. However, if I drive to K before there's traffic, if I try to leave my house, uh, and come up county line at five o'clock, the distance didn't change, but the time it takes for me to get there uh, is extended, right? Because there's traffic and there are people. What happened was the distance is the same, but there were lots of efforts to remove all that traffic. So if I leave my house uh, at, at six o'clock in the morning when there's nobody on the road, I don't have any problem getting the cade in less than 10 minutes, right? And that's driving speed limit. But there aren't all these barriers. And, and I don't mean that they were removed in an unsafe way, but they were removed because it's a public health crisis around the world. Uh, and so everyone recognized that we need to figure out how to do this safely uh, and efficiently and as effectively as possible. Yeah, yeah. Great. So so what I'm what I'm hearing you say then, uh, a lot of things, but but one in particular, that stood out for me because I, I had my own apprehensions as well. But as I started reading some of the some of the data, one of the things that really helped me turn the corner was knowing that they didn't start this from scratch. No, right. That this wasn't something that they cooked up in nine months. No. Uh, just just, you know, in, in the beginning and, and, and hope that they came up with some. But this was this was already in the works. It had already Already in the works with safety profiles. So they had ideas about the delivery mechanism and understanding the safety of it um, already, already being developed. And so, um, you know, you think about people who have an idea, 
and they've already tested it, but there's no funding to get it to market. Right. Uh, it's it's uh, it's not the same, but very similar. That this wasn't. It felt new to us because we're not living in that world, right. and it felt super fast to us. But the truth is, like you said, it wasn't. It wasn't something that they came up with in March and and then developed in those few months. Not at all. So so the question becomes, um, you know, for a lot of people, there's even with what you just said, there are people who are still wondering, should I take it? Right. Um, is it is it safe? Um, what you know, where 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 should I be with it? And if everybody else takes it, can I just wait it out? Right. Yeah. This, this idea of herd immunity. What what is your what is give us some information on that? What do you think of that? Now, I'll start. I'll start with that conversation about herd immunity. Yeah. So herd immunity is sort of this concept that um, if a lot of people have have become infected with the virus or get vaccinated either way, right? You either get immunity from the virus or you get immunity from a vaccine. Uh, if lots of people get it, then it's harder for the virus to, to transmit, right? So it slows the virus in its path. And that's true. I mean, that that's that's what happened with smallpox. It's, I mean, it, it is true, right, around the fact that herd immunity is real. Here is the problem. In order to have effective herd immunity, about 70%, that's where the number is right now. It moves some of what we think we need to have for effective herd immunity against this particular virus. But if you take a conservative number, 70% of the population needs to get it in order for us to have this reach this thing called herd immunity. Uh, and that's a lot of things considered. Um, and we're right now at about 10% of the world's population. And we're already feeling the effects of that. And so think about how many more people have to contract the virus in order for us to reach 70% and whether or not our health systems and the infrastructure from an economical standpoint can withstand that. So yeah, you can wait it out. It's gonna take a long time to get to 70% and a lot of devastation in the meantime. So the idea is that you have both things happening. You have this effort around vaccination and folks who are getting exposed to the virus. And, and together, those things are gonna help us get to that number sooner. Um, it, it, I have to call out though, that the one thing that we're not sure about is how long immunity lasts from, right. from, from the virus, right? Yeah. And the vaccine to be fair. Yeah. So, so right now we believe that, that just from the virus, you have uh, immunity for somewhere around 90 days. Um, but so there are lots of things we just don't know about COVID. Um, we just don't. We just hadn't had the time to really study it, like the things that we know, like influenza or flu. Um, but what we know right now is is its mortality rate. We know what it's how it's moving throughout communities. And so the idea that you just sort of wait, uh, you got to understand how how long of a wait that is, right? So if you think about ten percent now, and you need to get to seventy percent, that that's a big gap. Uh, and a lot of people in between. Yeah. So, so let's assume, let's assume then you've convinced me to take the vaccine and mm -hmm. I, I go and I get the vaccine after I'm vaccinated. Um, do I still need this? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You absolutely need to wear your mask. You still need to wash your hands, which you should have been doing before COVID anyway. Um, and you still need to do social distancing. And the reason for that is because 
the vaccine, like all do not prevent the disease, right? What the vaccine does is it gives you a head start. Um, so taking the flu vaccine, take it doesn't, none of those things keep you from absolutely acquiring the virus. And, and more importantly, uh, from spreading the virus, even if you yourself don't get sick. What the vaccine does is it says, I'm gonna give you a head start, right? Remember when you were kids and you used to raise somebody, you say, okay, I'm gonna give you a little head start, but I'm gonna try to catch you. <laughs> But I'm going to give you a head start first. So the, the vaccine gives your body a head start should you come in contact with co Corona or COVID. And, and it says, get ready. Right. If we need to fight this thing off, get ready. Uh, it's not any different than what we do when there's a hurricane or a tornado. We, we say, get ready. This is what's coming. We don't know what it's going to look like, but get ready. So the vaccine is an effort to tell your body to get ready. The things that your body does naturally to fight off infection, uh, it starts to build those defenses so that when that virus tries to attack you, we're ready, right? Without the vaccine, your body still has those defenses, but it's caught off guard, right? It didn't know it's coming. So it's doing everything it can to fight it. It's trying and it's recruiting all its troops but it's 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 holding it off until until the troops get there. The vaccine says, let's build our army up. And if we get it, we're going to be ready at yeah. least to give it a good fight. I don't good know if that deal. makes sense. No. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. So then um, if 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 there are. Let me just say it like this. Are there any reasons or are there any persons who should not take the vaccine? Are there any reasons, are there people who should avoid it for any reason? Yeah, so, you know, the vaccine, one of them is age, right? And so uh, Pfizer goes down to 16, Moderna to 18. So if you're below those ages right now, the EUA does not apply to you. The EUA is emergency use authorization. It doesn't apply to you. There are trials right now for children and for folks younger than that, but we do not currently have an emergency use agreement for those ages. Uh, and then there are other some sort of uh, contraindications. If you've ever had an anaphylactic response to a vaccine, then we're advising folks to uh, seek out <clears throat> uh, particularly medical advice from your provider. But if you're going to get the vaccine, that that should be done in a setting that can respond to anaphylaxis. Um, <clears throat> number two, if you've received any vaccine, flu, pneumonia, anything, then you need to wait uh, about two weeks before you get the COVID vaccine. If you've had COVID, you can still get vaccinated, but there's a time period in there where you need to wait. And then if you've received monoclonal antibodies or treatment convalescent plasma for COVID, then there's also a delay that you need to wait for um, before you receive the vaccine. Uh, the side with the other than that, it would just be anyone who has allergies to uh, the products that are contained within the vaccine that you know of. But the, the other things are relative relative contraindications, and we won't give you the vaccine in our clinics if if you have a contraindication of those things that we just called out. Aside from that, honestly, there's there's not a population that should not be vaccinated. If you don't have a contraindication to the vaccine, or um, you're under the age group uh, right now, let me I'm sorry, let me clarify, Pastor Buckley, that in Mississippi we are still only. Uh, uh, in phase 1C, if I'm correct. So in Mississippi, the eligible people eligible people to receive the vaccine are healthcare workers, 
essential uh, um, essential workers, um, non healthcare at, at some sites, and anyone over the age of sixty five, and then those ages eighteen to sixty four with any pre existing medical condition. So right now in Mississippi, if you don't meet one of those criteria then you're not eligible to receive the vaccine in Mississippi. It's not yet gone to just the general public. How, how about pregnant women or women nursing? Is that is that any concern? There's not a contraindication, but we advise them to have a conversation with their GYN so that they are aware, but there's not a current contraindication if they're pregnant. Okay. So so let me shift gears maybe just a little bit, still on the vaccine part, but but it, it's the idea because listen, we have we have been trying to just manage, all of us have, um, to just manage, try not to get contract the virus, try to do everything that we know to do to stay healthy, uh, as healthy as we can. Uh, one of those things has been um, the, the use of supplements and vitamins to try to build up immunity systems. And I know people who have said to me, listen, uh, I'm taking my, my vitamin D, I'm taking my gooseberry, Zeke. whatever it is. Yeah, <laughs> This, that, and the other. Um, what, what, what is? What are your thoughts about those things, vitamins and supplements, uh, for building up immunity? Are they effective? Uh, does it replace? How do we? How do we deal with that? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Tell us. Uh, so I think they're good. They're not harmful, right? And so most people with healthy bodies, if you don't, if you're not vitamin deficient, you're just gonna. Uh, excrete it, right? Um, so the literature is sort of uh, iffy. If you look at some of the data, there are definitely some studies that suggest that in those who are vitamin D deficient, which tend African-Americans tend to be because of our lovely skin color, uh, there's some literature that suggests that there's an association between vitamin D deficiency and uh, a more um, uh, significant complications or comorbidities uh, from, the, from, the vac from the virus. Um, so my position about vitamin D, zinc, and, and uh, I don't know the other one that you said, but is that they're not going to hurt you. Um, and, and so it doesn't, it doesn't hurt, but they are not a substitute for doing the things that we know are effective, which is your mask, washing your hands, social distance, uh, avoiding large gatherings, if at all possible, and the vaccine. Yeah. Um, and so they're not a substitute at all. Um, uh, but but aren't aren't harmful, right? And so, you know, I, I take vitamin D, but we've taken it before COVID. And I feel like if it's helping me ward off COVID, then I'm gonna keep taking it. Um, I think vitamin D is a good supplement overall in general for African-Americans because we tend to have vitamin D deficiency, but that's aside from, from COVID. So that, right. that's my thought is that the, the, the data, the jury's still out on how effective. There's certainly some literature to suggest that they're helpful. I will also say that that's what we use. So if you get COVID and you come in clinic and you're well enough not to go in the hospital, we're going to recommend that you start some zinc and vitamin C. So, um. yeah. So we're starting to get a few uh, questions in the uh, chat line, and uh, we certainly want this to be uh, uh, an interactive time. If you have questions, uh, uh, by all means, you're you're encouraged to uh, write those in the chat line. Lanita Knight. Uh, raises a question. I, I think it's one you've spoken to, but uh, certainly worth going going back and and uh, and sharing. Uh, do you have to repeat the vaccine? Does it wear off? So both vaccines require two doses that that are approved right now. There is a, a third vaccine that's um, in development by Johnson and Johnson. That's a one dose vaccine, but both Pfizer and Moderna require two doses for effectiveness. 
Pfizer is 21 days apart uh, and Moderna is 28 days. We don't know yet whether or not this vaccine will have to be repeated at some point. All of us are, I won't say all, but generally the, the, the general expectation around the medical community is that this will be very similar to the flu vaccine uh, where you take it annually. There is no recommendation today that you be revaccinated um, uh, other than those two doses that you need. So you need a first dose and a second dose for both Moderna and Pfizer right now. And so it is very likely that this will be an annual uh, vaccine requirement, but but we don't have any recommendations from that right now from the ACIP, which is the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices and Policies. Yeah. I think one thing that we've gotten used to in, in the course of these last 10 months or so is the is the fact that that it's really a moving target that, oh, yeah. that this thing is it changes <laughs> weekly if not daily almost it seems and and because of that the you know when this first started uh you remember the conversation of well we don't need masks and and then shortly there well yeah masks are good to we must wear masks to now the the thing about double masking uh, what, what, because of the variants. Uh, what do we know about these variants and the trans um, transmittability of the variants? Are they more transmittable? Is is there reason for more concern uh, than the original virus itself as it relates to these variants? So I think it's still too early. Well, let me answer what we know. So we know right now there have been three variants identified in South Africa, um, the UK, and uh, the other location is escaping my brain right now. Um, um, so what we know is that they tend to, to spread more easily. What we don't know, thank you, thank you, T, uh, in Brazil. But what we know is they tend to, tend to spread more quickly, uh, but what we don't know is that they necessarily cause more severe illness or increased risk of death. We don't know that just yet. Uh, we all believe that those variants are in the US, even though we haven't really, uh, uh, identify that, but but the truth is that they're probably here. I mean, coronavirus has been around forever, right? This is not, the coronavirus is not new. Uh, there are hundreds of strains of coronavirus. Uh, several of them cause the common cold. It's this, this strand that's novel, the COVID-19, uh, and then now these other variants that we've identified. I think the thing that's important, Dr. Uh, Pastor Buckley, is, is this the concept about it spreading more easily. Um, TA, if you could go to, if you could go to, let me see what slide that is. Slide number um, six. The the thing that to keep in mind about the the virus is that the and I think you and I have talked about this. The mortality rate from COVID is 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 pretty flat, right? Um, if you look at the mortality rate, this is across the U.S. This is data from the CDC as of uh, yesterday. If you look at Mississippi, it's a little bit higher. Our mortality rate in Mississippi is about 2.8% African-Americans, 2.3% in Caucasians. But the mortality rate for COVID has been the same really across the US. It hasn't changed, right? One Around 1% 1 or so, 1.5, 1.6, but really around 1%. The, the, the caveat is that that number is consistent, 1%. One, I, you know, math is not my strength. I told you that before. <laughs> but one percent of a hundred is is one thing. One percent of twenty five million is four hundred and twenty three. 
right? And so again, the reason that we have to be concerned about these variants and the reason there is concern about these variants is, is the rate at which it spreads. And so if you have more people who have the virus, then you have the propensity for more people to be in that one person, right? And so I, 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 the, the whole point of all of this, and honestly, I think if we if you step back and look at the big picture, the whole point of shutting down uh, social gatherings and is not because we, is to slow the spread of the virus, right? Because we didn't have something that would stop the spread of the virus. But if we slow the spread of the virus, because the virus spreads by me being close to you, right? And if I have it and you are close enough to me, then I can spread it to you. So the point of all of this, the point of the mask, the point of the hand washing, the point of the social distancing is to slow the virus so it doesn't spread from me to you. And if we slow the virus, we slow the spread of it, then over time, the virus still does what it does, but we can manage it and we give ourselves some time to be prepared to manage it. So if we could slow the spread of the virus until we had a vaccine that helped to defend against the virus, then it made us be more prepared for those numbers and that mortality rate not to get as high, right? Mm -hmm. And so the concern about this virus is not that they've demonstrated that they're more deadly. It is that they've demonstrated that they spread more easily and more rapidly, which means that that number, right? That 1% of whatever that number is, right. that's gonna, that mortality is gonna be high. Right, right. Let, let TA, if we could, let's go to the uh, few questions in the chat line. Sharon Harris uh, raises a question. Uh, she says, what if you do not get the second half of your vaccine on time or when it's due? So the good news is that, um, let me let me caution this because I don't want people to be like, I can get my vaccine anytime. <laughs> The good news is that it's not exact, right? So if you don't get it exactly on 21 days or exactly at 28 days, you got a little wiggle room. Um, but we certainly would encourage you to get the vaccine as close to that that time frame as possible. So if you if you don't get the second dose, we know it's not as effective. But you do have a little wiggle room around that 21, 28 days. Again, I, I, I would I would advise that you try to keep that no more than seven to ten days on outside of that recommendation. But the truth is you have some more room than that. But we want folks to get back in and get their second dose because of the effectiveness of it. Yeah. So so let me ask, um, because we're 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 in flu season. We're also as an as an allergy sufferer, we're in allergy season right around this time and in March, allergies start kicking up. I mean, how do you know what what you're dealing with? How do you know what symptoms are what and when you should get concerned? And and if you feel this, how, what what yeah. do you do? That is the hard part about COVID, Pastor Buckley. And uh, TA, if you pull up slide number five, th this is the part that is most um, challenging about this disease is that it's a, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Um, and like you said, it's allergy season, it's flu season, and, uh, and we might we may get a cough every year because we're allergy sufferers. And you feel like, oh, that's just my normal cough. Uh, oh, I'm just a little itch itchy. My, you know, my throat's a little scratchy. I tell people all the time that if COVID made your face turn blue, you'd immediately know something's wrong with me because I'm not a Smurf, right? But it doesn't. It, and you feel fine until you don't. And that is the challenge. 
That is the challenge of this disease is that number one, COVID can affect the same demographic, the same age, the same comorbidities, the same everything. You give me two African-American men aged 50 with hypertension and their course for COVID could be drastically different. And that is the challenge. We don't know. I mean, we will know at some point that there's some genetic something, right, that that affects people differently. But we don't know that today. So we don't know when you get COVID, if you're going to be like the bulk, like the 99 percent of people who are fine, who recover, or if you're going to be in the one percent. And because you don't know if this cough that I have or this runny nose or this this uh, this little fever, this that you don't know if this headache is COVID, it is better to err on the side of caution. The challenge with COVID is that we think we're fine and most of us are gonna go to work, right? Unless I feel pretty bad, I'm going to work because that's what I do. And so if I go to work because I have a little headache and um, and I think it's nothing and then I'm at work and I've exposed all these people and developed fever a few days later, then now I've become sort of a little bit of a hotspot myself. And it's hard to be able to balance that because we don't want people to be terrified every time you have a cough uh, and we don't want people to ignore it. And so I think it's really important to err on the side of caution. Uh, I think it's better to have a test and know that you're not COVID positive than to not. Uh, I, I think if there's something that is persisting, uh, even if you have a cough every year on January the 27th and that's your normal time to get a cough that this year, because we have COVID, you got to be a little suspicious. And and I don't have a better way to tell you. There's not a litmus test paper to say, oh, that cough sounds like a COVID cough. Uh, no, it sounds like a cough and, wow. and it could be COVID uh, or it could not be. But the only way to know that is to be tested. So, yeah. So what I'm hearing you say then is don't assume that it's it's your normal thing. If If you've got the cough, and yeah, you normally suffer from allergies, still go and get the test. That's what I'm and hearing. I, from. Yes, and I would add that most people are like, I'm not going to test, I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> For whatever reason, I would add that if you have symptoms that could be COVID, cough, fever, a headache, if you have fever, you need to be tested, period. Like fever, fever greater than 100.3 ought to be a deal breaker. I don't care what your symptoms are. If you have fever, you need to be tested period. If you are short of breath and you have cough, you need to be tested because it is the respiratory disease that causes most of the complications for COVID. And so in my book, if you have fever, all bets are off. You go get tested. Uh, if you're having difficulty breathing, and my test for that is you ought to be able to say your ABCs in one breath. And if you take a deep breath, and you can't finish your ABCs. You're short of breath. You need to go get tested if that's not normal for you, right? If you have normal conditions that cause that all the time, then you're, then, then that's different. Um, but what I would say to people, if you're developing a cough and you're like, ah, it's probably nothing, then isolate because that way you're not going to risk other people, right? Stay at home, stay at home. And if you can, in your home, isolate from your family uh, and then give yourself a couple of days to sort of figure out which way this is going, but don't have a cough and still go to work or still, still go to Kroger's or still, you know, do whatever you normally do. Um, so if you if you're not going to get tested, but you're not quite sure if it's a regular cough or not, then then give yourself 24 to 48 hours and just sort of isolate for a minute uh, and then kind of kind of let see how things develop. Uh, 
but a fever in my book in this season gets a test. Yeah. You know, one one thing that we're good for in our communities is sharing information, whether that's, uh, uh, you know, passed down from generations or some new information that we have. Uh, Larry Lucas uh, is suggesting the purchase of a finger pulse um, to keep tab on your oxygen uh, in, in your lungs. What are your thoughts on that? So I think a pulse ox is a value for folks who have COVID. Um, because, you know, uh, it, it's sort of an indicator if you're starting to have difficulty exchanging oxygen. I don't think that's necessary for the general public. Um, I think it's I, I don't think it's harmful, but it's certainly not necessary okay. to have a pulse ox and check that on a regular basis. If you have COVID uh, and particularly those who have already underlying respiratory illnesses like asthma, COPD or uh, even those who have coronary um, um, cardiovascular disease like heart failure, for those patients, because their pulmonary risk are greater, if you have been diagnosed with COVID and you have a pulse ox, it's not a bad idea to keep an eye, an eye on your stats because as that trends one way or another, then it's an early indicator that you may need to seek more care. Um, but I don't think it's necessary for the general public. Gotcha, gotcha. Orga Simpson uh, asked the question, do you recommend ask asking for a test even if you don't have symptoms and may have been exposed? No, there's no value of testing. The likelihood of you being that you're more likely to have a, a false negative uh, in that situation. Right. And so the only time that we recommend testing for exposure is for household contacts, just because of the level of exposure that you have for household contacts. And I don't mean somebody came to your house and they left. I mean, somebody that lives in your house. But if you've just been exposed um, there's no reason to be tested if you're not symptomatic because the test is more likely to be negative than positive. I, I do recognize that there are a number of people who've been who've been tested asymptomatically and they were, were positive. What we believe about those people who were never symptomatic and tested positive is that they are less virulent. They still can pass the virus, but not as much. They are not believed to be as virulent as those who are symptomatic. Um, and so I, there's no recommend. There is no there's very little value for being tested if you are asymptomatic, unless you've had a household contact. And if I could, Pastor Buckley, add a little extra about being tested. If you are symptomatic and you are tested, a number of the sites around uh, our Tri-City area are doing something called a rapid antigen test. If you are symptomatic and you do a rapid test, you need to act, and that test is negative, you need to ask for them to perform something called a PCR. That's a different test, takes about two days long, two day, one to two days, depending on where you get it to come back. So if you're not sure which test they did, if they can give you your results in 15 to 20 minutes, it was probably a rapid antigen test. That test has a high false negative. So if you are symptomatic, fever, cough, headache, shortness of breath, diarrhea, and that test is negative, you should ask to have a repeat PCR test done. If that test is negative, then that's a confirmation for that presumed negative for the rapid. So that's not something that they're sharing at all of these places where they're testing people quickly, but I want you to be informed so you'll know what to ask for and understand how to interpret those results. Yeah, that no, that's that's great information. Um, uh, and and just just to make sure we heard that. So the rapid test, if you get the false 
well, the if, if you get a negative from, and you're symptomatic, mm -hmm. it is a presumed negative. Right. If you are symptomatic and it's negative, you should presume it negative, but need a confirmation PCR yeah. and should yeah. ask for that because not everybody's going to offer it. And you can ask the 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 rapid test people to do it or. OK. Yes. All right. Very good. Very good. A few more questions that are coming in. Uh, Polly Johnson says, I have several underlying conditions. Should I take the shot? I think everybody should. Anybody who has questions about it should certainly consult your primary care provider. But I recommend there is not a condition aside from anaphylaxis that should be a contraindication to taking the vaccine. <clears throat> so, yes. Yeah. And along those same lines, uh, Velika Calvert, uh, my blood type is A negative, the most acceptable to COVID, have a low white blood count. I have severe allergies. I'm allergic to penicillin, Demerol, codeine. With the allergies, is there any research on how the vaccine will affect me? So we are fairly confident that, that we're talking about anaphylactic anaphylactic response to vaccines. Um, and so we've given the vaccine to folks who have uh, allergies to penicillin and other things. What I would tell you is that you should certainly consult with your provider. Uh, and generally, if you were if you were my patient, and I don't know all your health history, so I, I, I'm, I'm answering this solely based off of the question that you asked, uh, I, would, I would recommend that you pre-medicate with Benadryl unless you have a contraindication, and then be sure to take it in the setting that it has the appropriate uh, uh, emergency medicine response, but, but right. no, those things are not an absolute contraindication to you taking the vaccine. Great. Great. Well, this is, you're, you're giving us so much information. What I want to do now is, uh, really give you the opportunity because I know I've been fielding questions to you, but if there's some things sure. that, that specifically you want to make sure get, uh, get out in this conversation, by all means, uh, take it the direction you, you, you want to take it. No, I think we've talked about uh, the bulk of things. I think, um, you know, what we said before, for people to understand that that COVID doesn't come in like a roaring lion uh, and that the scripture about the devil, like at the door, it's not like that. It doesn't, it doesn't just, it's not just bam, all of a sudden. Uh, it's usually there before it gets bad. And people don't appreciate that that, that, that little cough or that little tiredness or that headache was actually Corona. Uh, the other thing that I want to make sure people understand pacifically is that the bulk of people who get COVID recover. That's mm. true, right? I yeah. know we see a lot about death and, and there are people who die for certain, yeah. but the but the majority, 99% of people who develop COVID will recover. Now they may recover with some sequelae, they may have some complications from COVID, but the bulk of people who get COVID will survive. So while we should have a healthy appreciation for the virus, it should not generate a fear um, and an irrational fear at that, but an appreciation and a respect for the virus because it is real and it is deadly. And the bulk of people who develop, who contract COVID will survive. The problem is, we don't know if you're going to be in 1% or 99. And so the better approach is to protect yourself, is to do everything you can to prevent the spread uh, of COVID. That, that's your approach. And so wear your mask, wash your hands, socially distance. There, there are things that you can't avoid, but 
you mitigate those things you can't avoid by not doing the things you can. Uh, and then from my perspective, in my opinion, you get vaccinated because those are the things that are at our disposal right now to try to prevent the spread of this disease and to try to prevent it from being as deadly as it is. Um, so so you, you let, let's shift just a minute and talk then about the vaccination and accessibility, because that's been an issue uh, here in Mississippi. We got the news um, last night that uh, apparently some doses are coming to Mississippi here soon. Uh, but, you know, logging on and calling and, and all of those things are really uh, what I understand we, we have to just keep doing. Do we have any mm -hmm. other information on that that you can share? No, I don't have any updates from, and I did ask uh, our our uh, MEMA connected team. I don't have any updates about the how the vaccine, when the vaccine will get here, how it will be allocated or distributed across Mississippi. Um, I, I know that the site can be challenging, and it, it feels like you just have to sort of keep sitting there like you're trying to buy a new pair of Jordans or something. Right. Um, <laughs> but it that it right now that really is the only method. Um, you know, I, I know that that it is even more challenging for our elderly population that may or may not be as um, uh, electronically savvy. But there's not another method right now uh, to getting the vaccine uh, other than going through that health department site. What the uh, Dr. Dobbs goal is to have more sites that are they're enabled to be able to give vaccine. And certainly you've heard from President Biden, his goal of, of making this more broadly accessible. The rate limiting factor and the challenge is really around the storage of the vaccine and how it has to be handled that limits uh, the locations that can hold it. And so I think, I think there's a lot of effort um, to be able to get the vaccine to the people who, who are wanting to take the vaccine. But unfortunately the best thing right now is to go to the site often uh, and just keep keep making an effort. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason about how locations come up or come down, and so you just have to sort of uh, keep keep trying. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things we said we wanted to do in, in this conversation is uh, provide insight and get understanding. And oftentimes, uh, you know, things you 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 hear things, and before you know it, uh, untruth takes life. So let's maybe uh, dispel some things if we can. Uh, Janice Mitchell says, one of the concerns I hear most often, and it should be stressed that taking the vaccine does not give you COVID. What are you Absolutely. saying? It does not, right? And so uh, what, and let me say too, because this is another thing floating around the African-American community, is that it'll alter your DNA, right? And that because it's an mRNA and the way in which the vaccine works, that it also changes your DNA or it's given us some type of bio tracer or uh, some way in which to tag African-American people in particular, but none of those things are true. Um, the, the virus, the, the way in which the mRNA vaccine works is not actually giving you COVID and it will not infect you with COVID. It allows your body to make the spike protein that is found on the surface of COVID and then create antibodies uh, and, and B cells and T cells and memory cells to that spike protein because it knows that it's foreign, but it does not give you COVID. Does not give you COVID. Okay, we can dispel that one. Good, good. And it does not alter your DNA. And it does not alter the, wonderful. Oh, oh, wait, wait, what about the chip? Is it giving me a chip? Not that. We, we've heard that too, right? We, we've heard, we've heard a lot of things, no, right? No, mm -mm, it's not. 
at all. My chip is not being inserted. My DNA is not being altered and I'm not being injected with COVID. None of those things. None of those things are true. You heard it right here, folks. You heard it right here. None of that is true. So they can believe that that I have authority. There's a video there somewhere. There you go. (laughs) There you go. None of that is true. Very good. Very good. Um, So, you know, what I've heard tonight and uh, hopefully what what our people have heard tonight is uh, get the vaccine as it becomes available. Uh, Even after you get the vaccine, still uh, remain safe. Do those things that we have been doing uh, uh, up until now. Uh, practicing the social distancing, still continue to wash our hands, still continue to wear masks, um, and recognize that this is a moving target, uh, that, that, that it moves, and as it moves, uh, information that we share uh, may change from time to time according to, 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 to our, best, our best knowledge. Some of the things, yeah, yeah, go ahead and you, uh, uh, go ahead and bring Pastor Montgomery back in because I want to talk a, a little bit about it from the church perspective as well. Uh, go ahead, Shannon. So Pastor Buckle, can I can I make a point about something that will not change? That that is sure. that is our truth. Sure. Divorce, can you pull up our TA? Can you pull up slide seventeen? Uh, this this is data from census data and uh, 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 vital statistics. This is data about our African American population. These are our truths, right? Uh, that the prevalence of disease around African Americans for high blood pressure, diabetes, and stroke. That that's real. Those numbers are are from 2015, and they are still true in 2020. Uh, if you go to the next slide, these are our truths around the African American population. Uh, we tend to die early from all ages, <laughs> uh, from all causes, right? And the next slide is also our truth. We can talk about the the things, the sort of systems that have resulted in these truths, but these are our truths. And so when you look at the people who are most likely to have significant uh, adverse effects from COVID. That's us. Mm. Period. And so while we're learning a lot about COVID and we're learning about the vaccine and we're learning about uh, what it does, we know this. We know that our people are more at risk. Now, mm. we can debate all day about why, but the truth is, this is real mm. and unfortunately not shifting. And so as long as this is our truth, as a people, we are more at risk and we should govern ourselves accordingly um, while we're fighting the systems that make these things be our truths. These are our truths. And this reality is not shifting. And so we have to govern ourselves and, and be wise about how we then handle information and make decisions about our health. Well, I'm 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 so glad you shared that because that actually leads me to to how we will end uh, tonight, and that is about how we govern ourselves uh, because of because of those truths uh, that that here at here at Cade um, uh, we we we're we're shifting, we're doing things a little bit differently, and so uh, this Sunday, uh, Cade, you will see. Uh, some different things. Uh, instead of our praise team with our singers, uh, you will see the praise team with the musicians only. Uh, we've asked the singers to to hold off for a while. Uh, uh, we want to make sure that uh, they remain safe, uh, that we exercise as much caution as we can uh, as this, this shift or these variants uh, uh, become, um, I guess, uh, more prevalent, perhaps we want to see uh, 
the transmittability of those and 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 if they in fact uh, become more of a problem. And if so, we don't want to be reactive. We want to try as much as possible to be proactive. We also are making some changes with uh, our Sunday school, um, having discussions with our superintendent today um, and uh, have been. And so we're shifting some things because we want to keep you safe. We as we as we deal with these realities, uh, we want to make decisions uh, not out of fear, uh, but in with the insight, with the with the understanding that we have, uh, and use the information that we have to make the best informed decisions that we can make to keep you safe as we can uh, until this vaccine comes and becomes ready. Uh, till this vaccine uh, gets here and becomes readily available uh, to to each of you. So pray for us uh, as a congregation, Reverend uh, Montgomery. Uh, as a as a pastor, as a faith leader, uh, are there different things that you're doing uh, in, in your church? Well, I'll tell you, uh, one of the things that we did on last week, as, as I started searching, trying to get the shot, one of the things that I did was I contacted my seniors because I knew that they were the ones who could get the shots. So I contacted them, had a phone conference with them, just inquiring about are you experiencing any fears? Are you experiencing any problems trying to get your uh, appointment for your vaccination? And amazingly, 90% of the people on the call who were senior citizens, 65 and above, had already gotten their first shot. And I just applauded and thanked God uh, because we were right then, uh, Pastor Buckley, you and I working, trying to uh, see if we could, you know, lead the effort as pastors, get our shots. Um, and to hear that my seniors were doing what they needed to do to get their shots. And what we were doing was we were ramping up to make appointments for them as a church family to make sure that if it was uh, an email that needed to be sent, we were available to them. And even if it was to transport them, if we had to, whatever we needed to do, we were trying to, as a church family, ramp up our efforts and be available to our seniors. And I, I would say to every church, every pastor, let's try to plan to help our folks get vaccinated as, as soon as we can. And whatever efforts we have to do to uh, make changes in our church planning, let's do that. This is important. It is our foremost effort to talk about this, to get information out as Pastor Buckley uh, is doing tonight and Dr. Shannon, this has been a fabulous platform and I've shared it um, as we uh, are doing this tonight with my congregation and, and my personal Facebook uh, friends. So um, we just need to do more of this. this there's, there's never too much of what we're doing tonight. Great. Great. Well, my friend, uh, Tony, Pastor Montgomery, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for uh, uh, having the heart uh, to serve in the way that you did and, and reaching out to uh, make sure that, that we could do our part as faith leaders uh, uh, leading in this way, at least to do a small part in saying to our communities, hey, let's not be afraid of this. Uh, let's not be fearful of this. And uh, we can uh, lead by example uh, in, in, in helping to make sure that our people uh, are getting getting uh, scheduled to get this vaccination. Dr. Shannon, any closing words? No, Pastor Buckley, thank you for having me.
Oh, thank you. Thank you for being with us. Uh, to all of you who have shared tonight, thank you for sharing and being a part of this conversation. Uh, I would dare say again, we have had Bible study. It's a different Bible study, but uh, we've been getting insight and understanding. And I want to thank you, Dr. Shannon, for putting on your, uh, keeping on your hat, uh, your medical hat at all times. Uh, you serve again in so many, so many different ways. You're a bl blessing and a jewel to the, uh, uh, to the congregation here at Cade, but also to the body of Christ. And we thank you for your service, Pastor Montgomery. Uh, love to you and uh, to the Peter James family as well. Let us close with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for this night and for the information that has been shared. We thank you, O oh God, for uh, Dr. Pittman and and for Pastor Montgomery and for. Uh, the, the lives that they impact on a daily basis. God, we pray now that uh, as we continue to go through this season uh, of uncertainty, uh, Father, first of all, we thank you that you are absolutely clear about all things. There is nothing that's baffling you in heaven. And so, God, we thank you for your omniscience, your omnipotence, and your omnipresence for being with us through all of this. You've never left us. You've never forsaken us. God, right now, we pray for all of those who are on this, this uh, live stream, for their families. We pray, oh God, that your head and your head, hand and your hedge would be around us uh, to keep us, uh, to cover us, to protect us. God, when we do all we can do, we pray, oh God, that you do all that we cannot. Bless us now. Bless, oh God, uh, Sister Collins, the Collins family, oh God, bless all of those in our congregations uh, who suffer uh, both sorrow from bereavement, uh, who are sick in our hospitals and at home sick and who are yet recovering. And we thank you for the 99% that will and shall recover. God, we thank you for the recovery that will take place. God, for those who experience bereavement and loss, we pray, O oh God, that you be the encourager of their hearts, the lifter of their heads, the restorer of their joy. We pray these in all things. In Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you again. We love you. We will see you Sunday at 11 a.m. for our worship service. God bless you.